0: Kingdom Speakers, welcome back in the studio today. We are going to talk about work and not just any kind of work. We're going to talk about church work. Welcome to Kingdom Speak with Pastor Daniel McKillop. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. And um, man, this is going to be good today. Show prep was good. We oh should have yes. re- recorded show prep. Yeah. And we have a guest who's joining us. I make mean, them you, wait. Make them wait. You know this already, but yet you don't. We're going to make you wait for it. Yeah. Make them wait. Um, so yeah, we're people of tradition here. So let's start with a review as always. Make sure it's five star. And Thank you. how are you guys doing? Good. the question that needs to be asked. Good. Good. All right. Five Star from Apple Podcasts says this. Do yourself a favor and listen to this podcast. Kingdom Speak provides profound insight into practical matters and principles within the kingdom of God. Thank you, Brother McKillop and crew for investing into the kingdom around the world. And that is from Reverend Brian on Apple Podcasts. And we will say amen oh, yeah. to you. Amen. Amen. He made it easy for me. He spaced You could it pronounce out. that one. Yeah, he put punctuation in there. Really? So thank you. Oh man, ain't that neat? Thank you. Thank ain't you. Ain't that neat? Thank you. Man, so man, let's talk about work. I, before we do, oh, wow. yeah, look cup at that is working. It man, is working. Hold that up. Hold I, yeah, that up.
1: I'll hold it up. Here, want to bring it over here?
0: Can, yeah. 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 So look at this. Man. Our new like it's uh, you, it's our can new can merch. <laughs> it's got a nice label on it. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> this is, it's, uh, it's disposable yeah wow we are really leveling <laughs> nicely up. played Randy. we're leveling up this year nicely played You're and okay. uh the budget for merch is really really showing itself to be uh, premium on point <laughs> yeah
2: on point so man are we ready let's jump in this is something in. that has been in the works for did you see what i did there Mm-hmm. works we've been working it's, at it. mm-hmm. it's it's been in the works for a few weeks mm-hmm. but um at the be- at the beginning of the year I was looking at uh, different I was trying to compile a list of books that I wanted to read this year and one of those was the uh, was written by the guest we have today the mm-hmm. author of the book church work mm-hmm and I want to tell you, when I read the book, I immediately said, okay, we have to have this guy on the show. Mm-hmm. So join us in welcoming Pastor Rodney Shaw
0: from Austin, Texas. Man, they love, they love you, Pastor Shaw.
1: Hey, it's great to be here with that sort of introduction. I'd like to come back about once a week, okay. if that's possible.
2: <laughs> well, you did mention pre-show that the only thing that could have made it better was live, so we, we're, we're, yes. we're trying to bridge that that studio gap there. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you. It feels good to be uh, welcomed in a positive way. <laughs> yeah, isn't that the
2: truth? There are other ways that it can happen, isn't there?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs>
2: So um, we we're just nicely getting acquainted. Um, although I've already valued your your book for a few weeks now, <clears throat> but we really do appreciate you taking time to be with us today. You, as we said, you pastor uh, New Life Austin. You've been the senior pastor there since two thousand and ten, um, and throughout that process. Obviously, I'm 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 going to make the assumption that some of the things you have picked up over the years, because prior to 2010, you assisted um, who is now the general superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church, Pastor David Bernard. So you assisted him. Is it safe to assume that w- what you picked up through those years of experience contributed to this this
1: book? Oh, ab- ab- work? Ab- absolutely, absolutely. Um- mm-hmm. I would say that the contents of this book, you know, there's a couple of different approaches to to doing a book. There's uh, research type books, you know, books that are written on research. These kinds of books have lots of footnotes, things like that. And then there's experience based books Mm -hmm. where you're not trying to put forth a proposition and then document that, you know, 50 other people have come to the same conclusion. Mm -hmm. You're simply putting forth what you have known to be true from your experience. And that's pretty much what the book is over the last 30 years here at New Life, whether it was my role as a, um, you know, just a follower or a leader or a leader in the middle of the pack or senior pastor. Um, yes, these these this book is my reflections over the last 30 years. Absolutely.
2: Well, I, for one, can appreciate that you have compiled them into this format because, it, th- this book is truly. I, I think it needs to be a must-read uh, by every leader in the apostolic uh, ranks. And so, I'm not getting kickback for this, or I don't. <laughs> or I don't think I am.
0: <clears throat> there, there,
1: there, <laughs> hey, this is. There are no kickbacks. They don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you mean you're not getting one either? <laughs> oh man, there you go.
2: <laughs>
1: one of the one of the
2: key. Um, Concepts, and I guess you introduce it in the second part of the book. That I, I would like to open up with is the idea that not everyone is a leader, but everyone is a follower. What what a what a brilliant concept. Talk about that.
1: Well, the the book is in three sections. Um uh, and I love symmetry. I didn't intend it this way, but when I actually looked at the table of contents and there were 10 chapters on leadership, 10 chapters on followership, and then 10 chapters on working together, yeah. that was almost like a, uh, a a prequel to heaven for me uh, to have that in <laughs> 10, 10, 10 and 10. The reason followership is in the second section of the book and not the first section if you put if you put that in the first section, nobody would read it. So, yeah. <laughs> you, <laughs> right. and here we you are starting. To. Here yeah, we are right. starting the show with it. <laughs> well, that shows that shows how deep your perception is. Yep, um, but yes, uh, followership is our universal shared experience. Hmm. Every for for some crazy reason, we're we're we tend to be preoccupied with upward mobility, and and that's not necessarily a bad thing. We all want to be better and grow and stretch, of course, but. What that gets translated to in organizational life is that everybody wants to be a leader. Everybody's trying to get reality, to the And in reality, yeah. And it, whether you are or not, nobody is ultimately at the extreme top. Nobody. Everyone yes. has a leader in their life. And we all have that shared experience. So there are people that, that are not leaders, but they're followers. But there are no leaders who have not been or who are not currently followers. Now, that doesn't mean they follow well. <clears throat> one of the one of the points I make in the book is leadership and followership are two very different competencies. And just because you do one well doesn't mean you do the other well. But yes, it is our universal shared experience. And it's so fascinating, because if we don't develop those skills, then we're going to be very one sided. And so um, I, I, I don't want to take away maybe some of the other places you want to go in the conversation. But Go ahead. It occurred to me that if you back up and think about it, most of our most of our difficult experiences, what well, maybe I shouldn't say difficult, our unsatisfying experiences, our unsatisfying experiences in organizational life probably are more often experienced as followers not leaders. When we're the leader, we actually have a sense of having some directional control over what's going on. True. But when we're a follower, whether that's in on a church staff, whether that's on a board serving in our district, wherever we're at, our dissatisfactions in organizational life often are experienced as followers when we don't like something the leader has done or the direction things are going, or we don't like the behavior of our colleagues. Well, if we haven't honed those followership skills we're going to process everything through the lens of a leader, and that can be very destructive.
2: Mm-hmm. Wow. So well said. And one, one of the things, the hook that really got me, and it did, it, it was landed squarely, um, was the fact that we spend a lot of time cultivating leaders, but nobody— yeah host followership seminars
1: <laughs> how to be a better follower oh, yeah. amazon number yeah. one bestseller <laughs> yeah. uh, n- nobody wants to grow up with the ambition of being the vice president right that's it right. just
2: right. right right so so let me ask you this what is your input and how would you define what the
1: top even means yeah well that i mean if you think about christian service and leadership is a form of christian service it's a ministry um, it is it is really exactly that it it it's service to god's people and we don't right. we don't often process it that way um, we often think in terms of a very vision centric model of leadership where i'm the leader i've got this direction i need all these people to get on board so i can you know Put them in the direction that we need to go, and and I think that's pretty backwards. Um, mm. And if if without that proper alignment, um, I, I think I think I think this whole leadership uh, followership uh, is is a dialectic. It works together because sometimes I'm leader, sometimes I'm follower. Mm-hmm. And you, you, if we're you not, you have a
2: great illustration of that. If I could jump in, sure. By by mentioning that if you have a successful businessman in your congregation who monday to friday is the point man that's leading the charge on 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 a very successful corporate level comes in and sits down in the pew on sunday and submits to your leadership as the pastor sure. uh, to me that was well uh, well that that explains very well the process that even leaders follow somebody
1: and I would push it farther than that I use that I use examples like that because everyone can get their hands around it right but I would push it farther than that the businessman's not just coming to be um, a follower of me he's coming to be a follower of somebody that in the workplace might be six tiers down from him in the hierarchy mm-hmm. yes if he joins a volunteer team at the church, That team may be led by somebody that's way, way, way down the hierarchy in society from him. Mm -hmm. Not only that, but I mentioned this idea of roving leadership there in the book. I think it's uh, in the third section, but that term comes from Max Dupree in one of his books. But this idea of roving leadership is that the hierarchical leaders have to back up and allow the other leaders to lead. So there are times that, you know, I could say, okay, on the org chart, and and even make a spiritual case, I'm the leader at the church, the primary leader. Well, there are times I have to back up and follow someone else's leadership. The obvious example, if we're having vacation Bible school, it's going to be a train wreck if I try to lead it. It's going to be, I mean, if we have a youth camp and I try to lead it, it's going to be a train wreck. There are times I just have to back up and I have to let somebody lead. If we have a men's meeting, if we have a men's ministry meeting, I don't have to walk in, sit on the front row and be in charge of that meeting. I can just walk in and sit wherever I want and just be a man and let the man that's in charge of that thing let him be freed to exercise his gifts and lead. I'm a follower in that meeting. I don't have to always have my leader hat on. And I think I think that's a mistake we make sometimes as leaders um, you know, same is true if you want to take it even a step further in the spiritual realm. There are times where people who are dialed in spiritually, I stop and listen to them, people in the congregation. And so I think sometimes we get we get this backwards because we think we think that I have to always be leader in every situation. That's not true. And we need to be able to shift in and out of that leadership role and know when to do that. And uh, it's not always easy, but I think that's the goal. And I think that's what makes a church very healthy and very functioning. The,
2: this, this brings something, what you just said, up to, to, to me, up to my memory. I, I, there was a well known, and I, I won't drop his name just because it's, it's immaterial, but a well known charismatic mega church pastor <clears throat> that was speaking about leadership. Mm-hmm. He's known for his preaching. But he was sitting in this little clip that I saw at the piano, and he was playing the piano. And it, it wasn't half bad. He was pretty decent. But he said, nobody knew that I played the piano because I have focused on the skill of preaching, and I brought in someone who was much more proficient at what I can do but I brought them in because they—that that is the top. For He didn't use that expression. But that is, that's is—that's the calling for them. Whereas for me, mm-hmm. my focus is on another area of expertise. And the example that he made is sometimes the best—this is the statement that he made. Sometimes the best thing that you can do for God is get off the bench.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
2: And let someone else slide on that— can do that proficiently, and then you go on and do the things that maybe they can. Absolutely, and that—that's a dance. That's a dance that never ends as an organization
0: or a ministry grows. True, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I've got a question for you, Pastor Shaw. So, first off, thanks for the book. It's incredible. And uh, my perspective, obviously, I'm not a pastor, so I'm coming at this from a saints perspective. Uh, but I help out here in our local church, and I really love your section in the first ten chapters um, of around volunteers and how to handle volunteers. I thought that was so huge. Uh, and again, we don't want to take all the hooks here because you need to buy the book, of course, <laughs> right? Uh, yes, um, for the kickback, right? We're yeah, kickback, right. right. yeah, the, <laughs> right. the royalties. Here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but what I just. This, I went back through my highlights and one of the things that I highlighted was when you were talking about seeing volunteers as more than just agents who accomplish work on behalf of leaders, (laughs) right? Yeah. So, and this is what you say, if volunteers are only seen as a resource to accomplish a task, then we subordinate volunteers to tasks, right? Wow. I thought that was so awesome. So can you just talk a little bit maybe about how we should or shouldn't be
1: handling volunteers? Well, th- this is really, to me, this gets to the heart of the book. And I use this term uh, up front in the book, follower-centric leadership. Yes. And I, I mentioned just a few minutes ago, vision-centric leadership. Mm-hmm. Um you know, in a corporation, you have a leader, and that leader's job is to turn a profit mm-hmm. for the organization. And they have a vision that hopefully will help them accomplish that. And so the vision then becomes paramount. And so you have a vision and you add followers to the organization in as much as they help fulfill the vision. Mm-hmm. In as much as they don't help fulfill the vision, they're removed from the organization. Mm-hmm. Fair enough, that's business. And unfortunately, that's that model of leadership gets adapted into the church. And that's not our starting point. And so this is why I use this term follower-centric leadership. Our followers are not in service of our vision. Yeah. That's our vision. Great. Yeah. yeah. Our vision should be in service of our followers. Yeah. <laughs> and if you get if you get that backwards, then people simply become human resources mm-hmm. that are used and oh, consumed to to fulfill whatever your vision is when you're losing the 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 reason the vision exists we're in a building program right now that's why i'm dressed kind of chill today i'm construction manager i'm all over the place today well we've been trying to build uh out some parts of our building for a long time we finally got there praise god but at the end of the day I have to ask myself why do I have a vision to build out more of this building what's the point Is, do I just rally all these followers to give their money their time their talent their treasure so we can build this massive building what's the point in all that if I can't somehow associate this vision with how it serves the people no, right. it's a wrong vision right and so getting people getting people out front in your organizational in your organizational architecture is crucial um, because otherwise people just become a resource. They become they become this expendable thing. And you see this, if you're not careful in church work, where, where it's easy to get frustrated because people aren't lining up to do whatever you've envisioned. Yeah. And maybe what you've envisioned isn't working. Maybe it doesn't need to be in this location. Maybe this is the wrong era for it. Maybe mm-hmm. it's just flat out wrong. But what about these people? And so there's no such thing as in church work, there's no such thing as organizational success at the expense of individual success. Mm. The only way we know we're succeeding is if individuals Mm -hmm. are being discipled and growing. Period. That's Mm -hmm. the, I mean, and, and it's easy to back up and look at budgets. It's easy to look at buildings. It's easy to look at what would be otherwise perceived as institutional progress. There is no church institution progress without individual progress. And that, that sometimes is a harder thing to get your hands around. What are the metrics for individual progress? Well, it's very difficult. Institutional progress otherwise, well, yeah, we built a building. We spent a million dollars. We did this. We did that. Um, but what about the people? And so part of the, the, the philosophy of leadership in the book is to kind of invert that whole thing and make sure that we realize this is a people business and the people have to be first.
2: I, um, I think that is so well articulated. This, this past week, we just finished uh, our annual conference. One of our, one of our speakers mentioned this, and it came back to me while you were just talking uh, about this concept. He said, in, in spiritual leadership, we are to rule like a servant and serve like a king.
1: That's good.
2: Isn't that a great statement?
1: That's great.
2: And if it, if we get those two concepts construed, it changes the the outcome of church work.
0: Well, Absolutely. and we've all we've all I know I'm sure you have because you described your role to us here, but we've all volunteered at a church event under someone who either inspired you. Or the other, or the inspiration, right? (laughs) Is there not an art, and and this is rhetorical, but yet, is there not an art to handling volunteers?
1: Absolutely. Right? Uh, And this is what's hard about our jobs. It's easy to blast vision from the pulpit, uh, but then when you step off the stage and you've got this one person... (laughs) Yeah. And you're eyeball to eyeball, and they ask you a question that doesn't fit with your mm-hmm. idea. What do you do? Well, you have to do something. And hopefully you do something that's redemptive and helps that person move on in their journey. Mm-hmm.
2: Wouldn't it be a, a novel idea if people were built along with <laughs> along the process of building buildings and stuff? Wouldn't that be an amazing <laughs> outcome? <laughs> I guess that'd be what church work was pretty well all about. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) This kind of segues. uh, Are are you? Yeah, that's good. I'm not wanting to hijack. Okay. That's good. This kind of segues into, I believe it's in chapter seven, that you are, you're dealing with the uniqueness of nonprofit organizations, church work again, where trying to find the right person for the right task. And you had some great suggestions there. One of the statements that you made, and I'll I'll leave this up to you how much you want to drop, but one of the statements that you made was, availability should not be construed with suitability. (laughs) And wow! I mean, there's times that someone with a heartbeat is just welcome.
1: Yeah, yeah. If you get, you know, um, dedic- I, f- I forget who said this. I-, I quote this guy in the book. It's, I think it was um, Robert Kelly, but I'm not totally sure. He said, dedicated incompetence is still incompetence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 oh. oh, man, I got a
0: Bible bomb, that, that. That's, not,
1: that's beautiful. That oh, is oh, great. Man. <laughs> 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 love it. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and it it is challenging because just because someone has, quote, a burden for something doesn't mean they're capable of leading others in fulfilling that something. Mm. And so al- al- aligning people with, with what they're good at, with their gifting, is extremely challenging. And uh, I-, I give some practical kind of hints and guidance there in the book for how you do that but it's an ongoing challenge i remember uh, as a leader sometime in the last 30 years that's that's as, uh, <laughs> thanks sometimes thanks. in sometime in the last 30 years there was an individual who had been serving in a in a role and they had they'd served well but it was quite obvious it was time for that leader to transition um, the way you just the, said
2: that Leads me to believe that they didn't realize that.
1: They did not realize well, well, they had seasons, they had seasons where they would realize it. Uh, and they would come, they would come to the point where they were willing to transition. And then the individual I, I assume was either you know concerned about what would happen to the ministry if they left or whatever the case might be. And then they would back up. It took me two years, two years to transition that leader out. Now, you can take a hardline approach and just axe the person and say, boom, you're done, get out of here. Um, And in some instances, that might be necessary. Mm -hmm. However, barring a a severe crisis and a situation where you're literally bleeding, uh, I think we have to work with people and we have to help align them. And I give some practical ways in the book to address that. But yeah, Getting the alignment, you know, it's the old the old Jim Collins thing: getting the right people on the bus and getting the wrong people off the bus. And if you're in church work and you have a growing church, you're going to be in that process continually. Mm-hmm. continually. Oh, that is
2: the truth, absolutely.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's one of the unique things about church work. I didn't really talk about that much in the book; it wasn't the point. But the on uh, the, the the work is never finished in church work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you never get there. And, and I do mention early on, I think chapter one about this idea of the products never finish, yep. but as a leader, as a leader, it's never done. Your team is always in transition. There's always a plate you're spinning somewhere. There's always a leader transitioning. There's always one that needs the transition. There's always a crisis. There's always a funding deficit. You're never getting out of that. And so this, um, this is something I think we have to pay a lot of attention to uh, so that we can manage it well.
2: One one of the things um, that you mentioned, you gave you gave six, or at least that's the, that's what I wrote down was six of them points on there. And again, we're not going to drop it on all of this, but I loved what you said about assigning tasks instead of giving positions. Use temporary or trial assignments. Use term limits. Uh, I, I think that is key. For setting up departmental organizations and responsibilities.
1: Yeah, and there's a balance. You know, you can't, you you don't want to leave everybody kind of off guard, so that nobody knows what the future is, or that nobody has stability. Mm-hmm. However, when you're onboarding a new person, um, take a transfer member for example. A member transfers to your church; they're from another church. Mm-hmm. And you're you're all using the same vocabulary, but you don't mean the same thing.
2: Yeah, yeah. And you, yeah.
1: And, but but you don't know that. You don't know that for about a year, and then you know right. what do you do about it? And so when you're bringing that new person on, there's sort of this uh, dance that goes on where each party is trying to figure out the other party. The church is trying to figure out the newcomer. The newcomer is trying to figure out the church. Um, this has happened to us on many occasions where you have somebody that comes and immediately uh, they're touting their, 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 their resume. You know, I've done this at my old church. I did this, I did that, you know, and, and then, and then you give them a little glimpse into what you actually do. Yes. And they're like, Oh, this is another level. This, this is not what I, well, giving those temporary assignments or, you know, giving people an opportunity to serve and to complete a task, it kind of lets everybody feel out the environment to see if this is where they want to serve or not. And there's just, there's no reason to write up front just say, yeah, you can be the director of this ministry with no strings attached or no time limits or nothing. Uh, th- that's quite risky.
2: And, and at the same point, giving you as the leader a very valuable period of observing how they handle that.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
2: That's, that's a, that is
0: a great, a great approach. So that kind of again transitions us into another topic where, as leaders, we have talked, and you know it has been highlighted the importance of delegation, right? Um, but in your book, you you have this, and and maybe you didn't envision it this way, but when I read it, it's almost like uh, a scale of of importance or thing, a skill set. You need to know how to do all three of these things, and you broke them down into dumping, delegating, and developing. Oh, yeah. And it was, to me, we've all talked about delegating. You know, everybody has the concept mm-hmm. that, you know, you can't do everything, so get someone else to do it. But how did you, you know, and if you don't want to share, that's fine. But what, what about the developing, right? Maybe I'll come back to delegating after, but
1: the developing section, how, where did that come from? Um, again, all of this is just personal experience and observation, Mm -hmm. uh, on the developing side of things, I really, you know, a lot of people are looking for that personal mentor, And I've heard, I've heard, we've all heard, you know, people lamenting the fact they don't have a mentor, yada, yada, yada. I kind of push back on that in that developing section. We all have mentors. Mm -hmm, We may not have somebody that meets with us for coffee three times a week, but if you want it, there's influence in your life. If you want it, there's positive, there's positive example in your life. You've got to go get it. Yes. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of people that are speaking into all of our lives. It may not be the way we want it, but life's not like that. You're not, you don't, you don't show up in life with a menu and get to pick. Okay. I want this kind of leader. (laughs) (laughs) I want this leader that will develop me this way that, okay. You may not get that. And so Mm -hmm. as the follower, then you have to be very determined and willful about how you're going to, how you're going to deal with your own self-development. You can't just roll over and play dead and think, well, nobody trained me, blah. blah. Okay. At the end of the day, if that's true, if it's true, you're still the one who's left undeveloped. You've got to decide if you want to live your life that way. Very good. Mm -hmm. So you need to take ownership. If you're in a follower role, you need to take ownership Mm -hmm. and you need to glean from your leader, everything you can, but not just your leader, others. And if you'll back up and look, you'll find that there is a stream. There's a large stream of influences probably flowing into your life. Whether it's the style you want or not is irrelevant. There are resources and influences coming into your life that are shaping you. On the other hand, if you are a leader, if you are a leader, uh, giving, you can't do this with everyone, but finding those key individuals that you can grant access to, that you can share a little more with, even if it's just sharing context, if it's just sharing Okay, we just made this decision. Here's why we made the decision. Uh, This is going on now. Obviously, I'm not talking about breaking confidences, but that just giving them the rest of the story about organizational life, sharing your thought processes. How did you, as a leader, get here? You make an announcement. We're not going to be able to do ABC. We had to cancel this. You may not be able to give a full explanation to the church, but you could have that one leader that you give a detailed explanation to. That's we're developing takes place. And -hmm. I mentioned two different kinds, in in my observation, two kinds of developing, which I'm using developing uh, interchangeably with mentoring. And that is active developing and passive developing. You know, an active mentoring relationship is where the two people have a declared relationship. One is being mentored. The other is doing the mentoring. They both know it. You know, they meet for coffee and post selfies on Instagram. (laughs) Everybody knows that they're doing this. And that's great. (laughs) but i would be willing i would be willing to say the majority the majority of mentoring relationships do not happen like that mm-hmm. they happen because one person is willing to expose himself to a certain degree and his decision making processes and his you know a little bit more public or private thoughts to this person mm-hmm. and this person is willing to glean and take notes and and we don't necessarily get to pick which style of mentoring we get. And we may not be able to pick entirely the style of mentoring in which we give, but that doesn't mean that it's not happening. And so we all have to own that responsibility to give and receive uh, mm-hmm. mentoring in our lives. Awesome. So
0: that being said, maybe somebody in our audience is saying, listen, I would love to get to the point where I develop people around me, but I'm just not there yet. Pastor Shaw. I am, I, I, I recognize I need to delegate. Um, talk to that individual about why they need to delegate and maybe tell them why they're not delegating currently.
1: Yeah, um, delegation. Um, you know, when you start delegating, uh, you're, you're chopping up the organization. Delegation, uh, you know, if you're a leader, you have to delegate. You have to delegate not just tasks, but you have to delegate the authority. And the Very accountability you good. have to there, there's this equation if you're going to delegate a task, you have to delegate the authority and the decision making process that goes with that. Now that doesn't mean that there's not accountability built in there's feedback of course there are but if you delegate you have to let that person have a certain amount of autonomy in the way that they do it. And this is uh, and I mentioned this in the book, the two main reasons people don't delegate. number one, they're afraid somebody won't do the job well. Number two, they're afraid the person will do the job well. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's it. So you've, if you have a person that you – now, nobody's perfect. If you delegate, people are going to drop the ball. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to mess up. But you've got to be willing to take a risk on someone, reasonable risk, allow them to take on a right. task, and right. then give them the structure, the resources, and the support to do it. Yeah. And if they drop the ball – What's the worst? I mean, if it's a task that you're willing to delegate and let go of, chances are it's not a mission critical task. And so if it fails, if it fails, it fails. Uh, You pick up, you learn. And so delegating, delegating, though, I think at the heart, delegating at the heart is where you're sharing organizational resources. You're sharing the work. You're sharing the authority. You're sharing, you know, all of the, the necessary things to get it done. But delegation still, and I think generally, ultimately has more to do with the organization than it does with the person that's being delegated to. In other words, the reason leaders delegate is because they have too much to do. And the organization's needs will go unmet if they don't delegate. So delegation, although it is a good training ground and it is a step towards developing, delegation still has a core core motivation of getting work done. That's what we need to get done. And if I don't delegate, the work's not going to get done or I'm going to burn out. Right. That's primarily, generally, the, the motivations for delegation. And that's why I distinguish delegation from developing in the book. In the book, we're not just sharing organizational resources. We're giving the organization away. I'm giving something to somebody, and I don't want to see it again because I trust them. They're a leader. They're running with it. I've developed that person. And in fact, someday they may just take the whole organization and I may, you know, right off in the sunset. That's developing. That's a whole different sort of thing. Whereas delegation is generally focused on getting work done.
0: Yeah. And you, you, you said this, I love these segments in the book where you identify things that you're describing and you said you might be a developer if. (laughs) Yeah. And these are so great because it's, a, it's an opportunity to check yourself real quick. Right? Yeah. yeah. So you might be a developer. If you feel confident the ministry would move forward if you were to leave. It's like, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. I guess I got some work to do.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Great stuff. That's
1: tough. It really is tough because, uh, ultimately, uh, and this gets into other topic too, but you know, a, a leader needs to be pointing to people to something other than himself. Mm -hmm. too many times, too many times teams are nothing more than personal support groups for leaders. And this is especially true in the church where there's a group of, there's an inner circle surrounding a pastor. It's like they've circled the wagons to protect him. And it becomes this personal support thing. And yes, we all need support. I'm a pastor. I need support. Yes. But you can't build an effective team like that. Not a team that's going to outlast you, You've got to you've got to be pointing people to something other than yourself. They need to be pointed to a set of values, to a mission, to a vision, to a culture. They've got to be steered to something else because if they're not, their primary allegiance then is to the leader. And I've seen this firsthand over the years. A where a team, the team itself, the 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 the, the leader is the hub, and everyone is a, has a, this relationship to the leader. They're all diehard loyal to the leader. And the leader then thinks everything's okay because each one of them has maintained this healthy relationship with the leader. And the leader thinks we have this awesome team because they're all telling me the right things. But what's happened is their allegiance is to the leader only. Then they go out and fight like cats and dogs among themselves because their allegiance is not primarily to the organization. It's not primarily to the culture. It's to the leader. Now, it's hard to make that distinction sometimes because as long as the leaders there people would say oh i love my church i love this culture i love this but what they're really doing is 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 parroting this allegiance back to the leader and you really don't see the impact of that until that leader is removed and then you see what people are loyal to wow um and to, to build a culture, and that's a whole other conversation, but to build a church culture that is healthy and strong, people cannot simply be aligned and arrayed around a leader. In fact, um, a, peop, a, a team, and I had this little definition of a team in the book, and, and my definition of a team is this. A team is a group of people who coalesce around a vision for the purpose of work. It's a group of people that coalesce around a vision for the purpose of work. They're not on the team just to be on the team and to get to go out Sunday night or get to go to the leadership retreat. They have gathered around a vision, not a person. They have gathered around a vision for the purpose of work. And that's the kind of teams we have to build. If we build those kind of teams, then we'll build a great church. So
2: that that really is... Where you spent time in, it's like the first or second chapter, differentiating between a cult and a culture. Yes. That's what, that's really the essence of what you were talking about.
1: Yes. And, you know, culture is, uh, you know, managing culture is the, the, the greatest, highest priority of a leader. And it's the most difficult thing we do um, to actually change You know, here's a little differentiation. Um, Our vision is what we want to happen. Mm. Our policies, procedures, and processes are what we have said will happen. But our culture dictates what actually happens. Yes. Culture dictates everything. Absolutely. Culture culture determines our reflexes. It determines our defaults. It determines what happens, whether we try or not. Culture is what we always revert back to, and so let me give you an example. I don't know of a single apostolic church that does not have a vision for growth. We all have a vision; that's why we exist, right? But how many have a culture of growth? Hmm. There is a huge difference in a vision and in a culture, and you've got to move from vision to culture. Managing the culture is the most difficult thing. that Now, if you have a vision for growth, that means you're going to get up and you're going to preach Acts 238. You're going to preach for miracles. You're going to preach revival. You're going to bring in evangelists. You're going to do the things because you have a vision for growth, but you can do all of that and never grow a church. But if you have a culture of growth, that means you have trained altar workers. That means you have trained Bible study teachers. That means yes. you have a, a functioning assimilation process, a functioning discipleship process. That means you have on ramps for people. That means you have a redemptive environment. Right. That means right. that there are processes yeah. and procedures. That's a culture of growth. And, and, and so.
2: And could I just ask ahead. this? At that moment, those things, because culture is not something you think about. Right. It's something that is who you are, and so you're not waiting for the promptings. You 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 just respond.
1: It's your reflex. It's your instinct. It's what yes. you do when you don't. You don't even think about it. Yeah, that's your culture. Yes, you know culture is hard to describe. It, it, it it's it's really hard to put culture in terms. Culture is 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 best experienced, and if you've traveled, you, you know this. True. You've gone overseas. You know True. it's like, well, explain the culture to me. Well. <laughs> or if someone were to ex- ask you, explain your culture to me. Well, I don't even know where to start because this is all normal to me. This is my life. You exactly. know, I don't know what's different. Yeah, That's your culture. However, you do experience it when you step out of your culture into another culture. And this is what happens when people change churches. What is
2: what's missing?
1: <laughs> when people change churches, it's not the theology that's usually the problem. Yeah. It's the culture. Mm-hmm. They don't like the way you worship. They don't like the way you do this. They don't understand why you do this. It has nothing to do with the with the theology. It's culture, right. and culture is those just instinctive ways. It's the feeling of the place. It's what it's the vibes that you get. That's culture, and culture is the is the highest yeah. level of leadership. I think managing culture is the highest level of leadership because you can manage tasks, you can manage people, you can manage calendars, you can manage chaos, all that stuff you can manage. But if you can shape the culture so that the 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 new the reflexes are different now that's a whole different ball game wow
2: wow that's that's um, that's a boatload of information
1: right there it's that's challenging that. it's that's very that. challenging and it doesn't happen overnight you don't change a culture overnight
2: for sure then that would be called culture shock at that point
1: yes and <laughs> and it's like an organ transplant the body will reject it they, they won't take it. They I mean, it'll be this false sort of thing that you're pushing on. And that's why you, you get some situations where you walk into a church and they don't really have a culture of friendliness. They have this friendly thing that's been pushed on them. So all the ushers yes. and greeters are acting friendly, but it's not really genuine. And they're telling you they love you and you've never seen them before. And they're hugging you and you're a visitor and you're like, this is weird yes. because it's not a culture that's not really a cultural expression. That's something that's been forced to manipulate. It's more policy or process. It's not really culture. It's not coming from a heart, from a spirit, from a reflex. It's coming from something that's been prescribed. Wow. Wow.
2: I hope our um, audience today is, is understanding that, that, that what we're talking about is only outweighed by what we're not talking about. So you got to get the book. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to. <laughs> we can't hit this. Yeah, all there's a lot of content.
0: Ah, mm-hmm.
2: this is so so key. Uh, there's one more that I want to I want to tap into before we before we we wrap up, and that is in chapter 17. You deal with the example. You give an example of uh, okay. uh, an. Un, under the, under the concept of a follow leader of those who are serving leaders who are serving leaders. And you give the example of a boat leaving
1: a wake. Could you, could you just give us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, you know, if, if you've seen a boat in the water, uh, you know, if it's making, you know, if it's moving, it leaves this wake behind this V shaped wake. Mm-hmm. And, um uh, That wake tells you two things. One, it tells you where the boat's been and it tells you where the boat's going. Yes. Um, And the point that I make, I use that illustration in the book to say that every leader has a wake. There is a wake left behind a leader. Yes. That wake is everything about that leader's leadership, their vision, the things that they permit, the things they don't permit, the things they endorse, the things they don't endorse, the things that they cherish uh, the things that they love, their theology. In other words, those are the boundaries that if you're going to follow that leader, you have to stay within that leader's wake. You have to stay within Second. that leader's defined yes. leadership. Yes. It doesn't matter if you like it. It doesn't yes. matter if there are opportunities <clears throat> on the other side of the wake. Yes, You have to remain in that wake. And uh, that's where there's you know, organizational stability, that's where you get a sense of organizational progress, unity, cooperation. Uh, and every leader has a wake, and it's a leader—it's a follower's responsibility to figure out what the wake is. Um, now, what the, one of the things that I think is extremely important about that, for some people, they feel that that's restrictive, and they're always fighting against it. They're always pushing against it. Well, Why can't we do this, and why not this, and my leader want this, and my leader want that? Well, if that's where you are, and that's where God's placed you— then all of those are moot points because you're not going to change your leader. You're not going to fundamentally reshape your leader. If you're where God wants you to be, then you have to learn to function within the perimeter of that wake. But what is also important is that wake also divine defines, the, the anointing of that leader the, the 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 gifting of that leader and i believe very strongly that if that if god has called a leader to do something that is bigger than that leader then god also calls other people to step alongside that leader and followers to follow that leader those people are equally gifted and equally called by god although they may function in a different role they are equally called and gifted by god to fulfill that same thing And when you are, when you are following a leader and you are underneath that wake, you're under that, that wake is also a covering. That wake is a covering of anointing. And if you stay in it, You share in that leader's anointing, just like God took that spirit that was on Moses and put it on the 70. Was Moses perfect? No, he had temper tantrums, but he was still an effective leader. And if you stayed where you needed to stay, you got the same grace Moses got. And if church followers will get under that leader, find out where those boundaries are. You can't be fighting over the boundaries all the time. Figure out where they are, Stay in that zone. There is grace there for you as well. It's not just anointing for the leader, there's anointing for everyone that will participate if they'll get on board.
2: <laughs> that right there should make you want to buy the book. Yes. Yeah. That, that, uh, t- two of the things that you mentioned there, and, and man, there's just so many, but you, you, you listed out, Eight points to help them find that wake of the leader. Um, determining what the leader values and determining or discovering what disturbs the leader. Those two, all eight of them are, are critical. But, man, that, that, is, that is key when you're coming up under a leader. And I have, I've, I've done that. I've served in that capacity. Mm-hmm you really need to become from what those eight things that you, that you describe, you need to become a student of what makes your leader tick or maybe get ticked off.
1: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. I never forget. Well, two things. One, um, I, there's a chapter or two in there on how to follow well because I didn't want to just talk about the concept. You know, it, it's easy to inspire people. It's like a, it's like a good sermon. You know, we're good at you know inspiring people and giving them this cute thought from scripture, and everybody's like, yeah, you know. And when well, you get to the end of the sermon, and you're like, so what? Right. What's What's the so right. what? What do I want these people to do? I just gave them this truth. Okay, so what? What does it mean? Right. Well, um, you've got to figure out. You've got to figure out what these things mean. You can't just inspire people. So, I have a chapter or two in there on how to actually follow well. And again, the point I made earlier is that most of your, I would say, most of your dissatisfying experiences in an organization are experienced as a follower. Sure. And too many times, followers get into this thing of pointing a finger at a leader and saying, "Well, if the leader this, if the leader that, blah blah blah." And I refer to that as the leadership dis, uh, leadership attribution error. In another part of the book, we blame everything on leadership. Church is not growing; it's leadership. Church is doing awesome; it's leadership. Everything's leadership, leadership, leader, and that's just simply not true. It's just not true. And followers have a lot more ability, and to, to they have a more ability to to live fulfilled lives in ministry. That's that that is not dependent on a leader. Right. You can hear from God. You can be better. You can figure out what the limitations are. You can know how to thrive in that environment. You can't just sit there and twiddle your thumbs and wait for the leader to come. You know, with with some miracle sauce and make your life all better you've got to own your circumstance own your life own your ministry and and good followers can make a leader better good followers can make a leader better stop waiting on the leader to make you better if you'll follow well your leader will be a better leader well um boom uh, and yeah now i forgot what the other point was but uh <laughs> there's one thing i did want to mention uh i think it's chapter 19 um uh, you have chapter 19 i had this Uh, I have this chapter called Finding Purpose as a Follower Leader. Yes. Um, I wanted to mention a couple of things about that chapter because I wrote this chapter really targeting those high-level follower leaders, assistant pastors, youth pastors, whoever's operating. They're they're a leader. They're a minister in their own right, but they're still, their ministry is primarily defined in a followership role. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there's this sense of, you know, what does this mean? What is my ministry? It, what does all this mean if I'm just, you know, plowing somebody else's field? What, what is going on here? And so I, I have this chapter on finding purpose as a follower leader. And the way I define purpose in this chapter is that purpose is the intersection of three things it's the intersection of your calling. You need to know what your calling is. What is that unique thing for which you feel responsible to God? What is the unique thing for which you feel responsible to God, your calling? However, calling is not universal and abstract. The calling of God to preach, for example, can fall on different people, and that calling will manifest in different ways. It falls on Paul, a single adult with a high degree of education. It looks very different than it does when it falls on Stephen, who has a family and two daughters at home. The call looks very different. And so I give these examples in the book. So your purpose is is where three things intersect. Your calling, where your calling intersects your constitution. Your constitution is you, your gifts, your talents, your life circumstances. You may may be married and have three kids at home. You may feel called of God. You may be a new convert. Your wife's not even saved yet. Your calling is going to look a whole lot different than someone that's a single adult just got out of Bible college. Uh, Are you in debt? Um, Where do you live? What is your family upbringing? What is your background? What is your education? Your constitution. The third thing that comes into play is your context. Where are you right now? What is your ministry context? Where your calling overlaps your constitution, overlaps your context. That bullseye is your purpose. You can't can't worry about what lies outside of that. That's really good. The reason I mentioned that is that for, and, and I recommend this for everyone, not just assistant pastors, uh, youth pastors, so, but anyone, I, because we all are in the situation at some point. Uh, on my website, com, there is a link to what I call the Purpose Clarifier Worksheet where it walks you through questions to kind of, it makes this, turns this chapter into an exercise Very Good, so that you can read this chapter and then prayerfully reflect on some things. And I don't know, it's probably six, seven pages long. It's worksheet. Uh, and so some people might find that helpful. So I just thought I would throw that out as a free resource uh, on rodneyshaw.com. Uh, it goes with chapter 19. That's great.
0: Thank you for wow. that. You actually are reading my notes because the wrap up is, You need to go to RodneyShaw.com. There's some cool (laughs) stuff on there. Um,
1: There needs to be more cool stuff, but I've got some other things going on. Oh, man. It'll get there. Delegate. (laughs) Yeah. You're going to delegate some (laughs) more.
0: I know. Man, this has been great, Pastor Rodney Shaw. Thank you for this today, and I'm sure the audience is uh, looking up the book right now as we speak. So if you go on to RodneyShaw.com, there's direct links where you can buy the book. Uh, And like I said, there's some cool stuff on that website. So if you're listening uh, to this podcast today, go check it out. You need to buy the book. Um, And like Pastor McKillop has already said, we could have talked about so much more that's in the book. Yeah. Uh, I love the story about the orange, the conflict resolution. I love that. Yes. Uh, Man, there's there's so many things in there. That's just cool. The lines of communication in a four-man team, how many lines are there? All of that stuff. Uh, we're not going to get there. You need to go get the book and read it for yourself.
2: Yeah, because we need the kickback.
0: That's right. Yeah, yeah the kickback. Yeah. We need the, the kickback. <laughs> a kickback. Whatever the, kickback. the kickbacks are, we want them. <laughs> the <kickbacks. laughs> There's also a newsletter there you can sign up for. Yeah, it's really cool. Really cool. So, again, thank you for being on Kingdom Speak today. Uh, this has been awesome, and uh, we'd love to have you back okay. on another time. Let's get busy Do doing it. some Church, church
1: work. work. Church work.